welcome to Observations from Life. This is your host, Scott, and I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with you today. Thank you so much for listening in. All right, I'm so excited to talk today about the church. Um, That's not a new topic to this podcast, obviously, and it's something that you're probably going to hear more about. Just to give a little thought about why I spend so much time on this, I grew up in the Christian tradition and grew up in a church. And so for me, that is the basis of my spiritual life. It's the foundation. Now, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily a part of what I see now as modern-day evangelicals or anything like that, but you can't really separate yourself from your from your experiences. And so whenever I look back and try to talk about what is important to me, it's always through that filter. And, and I want to talk a little about that first. If you've been a fundamentalist, if you've been an evangelical, and you truly were invested in that particular um, belief system, I think in many ways, at least for me, my experience, and I've talked to others that kind of feel the same way, um, you never really get out of that. It's kind of like an alcoholic will refer to themselves when they're in recovery as a recovering alcoholic, because they know they're still an alcoholic, and that they have to constantly call themselves out, uh, uh, you know, to remind themselves, to push themselves, to not fall back into the pattern that led to their alcoholism or to their drinking. Same thing with drug addiction or anything else. Well, I can tell you, the, the phrase that I prefer to use and the phrase that I think fits best is I'm a recovering fundamentalist. Because it's, or maybe recovering evangelical, maybe both. It's hard to separate the two in my mind because they went hand in hand as I was growing up and as my spiritual life was developing. So, for example, when I think I found the truth, whenever I feel I have the answer, whenever I want to start arguing or debating with someone about a particular belief or doctrine or standard or how they interpret scripture, I find myself falling into that same pattern of, I can prove you wrong. Let me show you where you're wrong. Let me debate you with your own scriptures. And in fact, I don't know if you've read recently, uh, I have a blog uh, that I have on the website that I write to periodically when I've just got some free-flowing thoughts and don't have time to sit down and do the podcast. And I talked about um, the church being broken, and but part of it came from an online interaction I had with someone where they started with the quote, the tragedy of today is that the church is pursuing happiness, not holiness. And another person followed with churches preaching a watered down form of the gospel to be more inclusive to certain groups. Yep, that's happen- yep, happening a lot, unquote. Inclusiveness was the hallmark of Jesus Christ. In fact, he was called a drunkard. He was called a partier. He was called all kinds of things because of the people he hung out with. Because he was part of 
spending time with the with those that are the outcast, those that are not recognized as the lovables, those um, whether they were, you know, party animals or I don't know, name it, crooks, thieves, whatever. Jesus spent time with them. In fact, his entire first sermon was about those that are blessed, and it was the broken people. He talked about the poor in spirit. He talked about those that didn't have much. He, he really spent time with people that needed love and healing. He didn't go to those that saw themselves as um, perfect or fixed or righteous. But back to this discussion, my response to them was the church is supposed to be a refuge for the downtrodden, a hospital for those who need healing. Instead, it is a power-hungry patriarchal enterprise. And someone took issue with that. They argued with it. They didn't like it. They wrote a real church preaches that Jesus is the only way to heaven. A real church. Truth. They laid it out. That's where they, they land. It's all about Cash in your ticket to heaven. And I just I had a conversation recently with a person that um, we, we got into this discussion where she talked about how she is Catholic or grew up Catholic at least, and that it really bothers her when she hears people talk about this is what it takes to get to heaven versus what we can do to impact the, the, the world around us now, daily. And I agree with that. I think that, you know... Again, Jesus said that what they said was inclusiveness to certain groups. In other words, those that don't belong, those that don't believe the way you do, those that don't support your version. And keep in mind, there's forty to 45,000 Christian denominations. So you can't just say, if someone believes Scripture, it has to be your version of Scripture. Anyway... They're not here to bring in the poor in spirit or those who mourn or the pure in heart or the peacemakers. And again, I'm listing people Jesus said would see the kingdom of heaven while he never mentioned a doctrinal statement or something people had to sign or agree to. I'm kind of going down two paths here. One is my recovering fundamentalist self because it's hard for me not to judge these people. I think the church is broken. It's been broken for a very long time. Honestly, I don't think he can be rescued. Um, I have met, and again, if you read my blog post, you're, you're going to see pretty much what I'm telling you now. I'm just fleshing this out a little bit. Um, I have met more people who've been damaged by the church than blessed by it. I've met more people who have been hurt by the church who don't believe in God because of the church, who doubt faith because of the church, then I have people that have said, this changed my life. This made me better. And even those that subscribe to the church as their salvation, you often don't see it in their actions and activities. And I think that when you think about the number of people that have been damaged, I mean, any organization that hurts others is bad. 
It's bad. It's, it's, you're hurting people. How can you find yourself to be the representation of God and righteousness and all that is needed and, and, and whatever, and you're damaging people? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, now, knowing that, it comes with the recognition that not all, I, I want to point out, not all churches are bad. Not all people are bad that are in churches. I've met a lot of very good people and people that do good things, people that have uh, ran food banks, people that have reached out to help those in need. Um, I don't think, just like people are complex and there are people that do good and bad things, but that doesn't make that person good or bad because we're not. We're not defined by any one act we do, but by the sum of all the things we do. I think the church is in the same way. But unfortunately, at least in my maybe not so humble opinion, the church is weighed in the balance toward broken. They refuse to recognize their anti-Semitism. You know, recently when I talked to Rabbi Mike, I was really touched by hearing from someone that has been a direct victim of anti-Semitism from professing Christians. But you can go back and look at even, and again, I strongly encourage anybody that hasn't listened to my interview with Rabbi Mike to take the time and see how the New Testament, how the, the Christian Bible was developed around the blaming of Jewish people for the death of Christ. And that led to the last 2,000 years of Christianity really painting Judaism and, and, and Jews in a horrific light. Racism. I mean, the whole Southern Baptist Convention, I've talked about this before, was developed around slavery. And yes, they've apologized since then. But the practice of racism in churches is real. Misogyny. Lately, uh, on Twitter, I have been following ladies that have been harmed and damaged by the church. And I've also started seeing posts of men attacking them because they're the problem, not the church. The abuse they suffered is they, they need to shut up, not the church needs to fix its ways. And patriarchy is such a real and huge piece of this. It's It's Incredible. I, there, are, there are some posts out there right now on Twitter. There's a conference going on in Orlando that I swear I thought was a parody. And it's a it's basically how to get your woman to obey you. And how you can be more of a alpha male, not a beta male. Beta male. And um, they even have a guy that's speaking and he's dressed up like Thanos from the Avengers movies, which if you've seen those, you know that that's probably not the model of a Christian pastor. Um, now, I'm finding a lot of people, they refer to themselves as ex-evangelicals, which I really love that term, who are truly seeking a righteous way to live. They're trying to find ways to love others fully and without restraint. They believe in God. They probably believe more in a the traditional Christian God than I do. 
and they believe in righteousness, and they stand against patriarchy and power over people. And you know what? They're hated. They're hated by the church. They're hated by these leaders because they are challenging the control, and they're challenging the um, the system <clears throat> that is so damaging. They have friends and loved ones that are still part of it. It's like a cult. They're trying to help either pull them out. They're not really trying to pull people out of church. They're trying to get the church to wake up. And I applaud them, but I'm telling you, the church is broken. Um, but they're the outcast. I think they're the ones Jesus would have hung out with, honestly. Spiritual diaspora. I think that's how you pronounce that word. I, I, it's a Greek word. It means those that are dispersed. Borrowing from, I believe, a Jewish tradition of, of when they were dispersed. But they're the ones that see, they're, they're seeking to live as followers of Christ. But you, what you don't see is you don't see their Twitter profile saying, Christian, God first, gun second, family third, whatever. You don't see a lot of this performance. What you see is reality. Um, there are Christians out there loving others, doing what's right, not judging others for their own spiritual paths. And they're joining hands with Buddhists and Hindus and people that practice Judaism and, and the atheist and the agnostic. They're working to pick up those who've fallen. They're reaching out to those that are hurting. They're giving them comfort. They're doing these things because they understand the real teachings of Jesus Christ. He didn't come to establish the church. He didn't come to wipe out other religions. You know, it's interesting. If you think about all the religions that were around at the time Jesus walked on this earth, he could have easily pointed out, by the way, don't be a Hindu. Don't be a Buddhist. But he didn't. What he did is he set an example on how we should treat others. And those that call themselves the church, they're not interested in that path. They'd rather get credit for attendance on Sunday school, drop a few coins in the offering plate, and judge people who don't agree with him as unworthy of the kingdom. Back to me. I know my, D my spiritual DNA is judgmental. I know that. I was raised to judge. I was raised to identify truth and identify falsehood and draw a fine line and tell people where they stand. And so even now, when I try to interact with people to show them that I have found a path that works for me, it's hard for me not to drop into evangelical mode and try to convert them. But that's kind of the trappings of someone raised in an evangelical world. You find something that you believe is the truth, and then you want to sell it to everyone else. And so I've been working really hard to not do that, to recognize everyone has different paths. Everyone has different spiritual journeys. They have backgrounds that are different. They've, they've been raised differently. They've seen things differently. And when I'm talking to someone who said their life was destitute and they were lost and, and they didn't know what else to do and they walked into the doors of a church and they found a loving family that took them in their arms and they helped them find a better way, I don't want to judge that and say, well, wait a minute. 
your church is also anti-Semitic. That's no way to talk to people. Um, so it's, 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 it's a battle. It's a battle to not fall into that position. I do think, though, it's important that we stand against evil, that we stand against things where people do harm. And when I see the church do harm, I'm going to call it out. When I see them, when I see people online that are mistreating others, I may weigh in. I think focusing on the behavior and condemning that harmful harmful behavior without condemning the person. Now, let me just warn you right now. That whole God hates the sin and loves the sinner approach, I think it makes people feel better about being shitty to people. I'm not talking about that. I don't adopt that belief. I don't believe we're called to defend people. I believe we're called to defend people they harm. And in doing so, calling out injustice, hate, and evil. But I don't want to fall into the trap of God hates the sin and not the sinner. Because what happens from there is they identify the sin, and that sin is identified inherently in who that person is. I'll give an example. If someone's gay, and I say, God hates your being gay, but he doesn't, but he loves you. Well, that makes sense. You can't separate those two things. That's part of who you are. You're, God created someone a certain way. And I'm telling them that God hates that about them, but he still loves them. And you could tell that anyway. And, and, and you know, sometimes I think you have to put things in the opposite from the, quote, norm in order to see the absurdity. For example, if I told someone, God hates your heterosexualness, but he loves you. So if you can just learn to love the same sex, um, then, you'll, then you'll be fully who you are. If so, that's absurd. And it's just absurd to tell someone gay, that is gay that. And the, the church's obsession with sex is off the charts right now. Maybe it's always been that way, but you know, just taking in being gay and I could give you a million other, well, not a million, I could give you a lot of other examples, trans women, trans men, or trans folks, as I like to say. Um, for some reason, the church has gotten completely obsessed with people's genitals and their sex whether they're having sex. And so they see being gay as, for lack of a better way of saying it, they picture the pornographic piece, two people having sex. They're not looking at how they love. They're not looking at their affection for one another. They're not looking at the totality of their lives. And if you think in your own life, if you have somebody in your life that you're married to or in a relationship or whatever, you know it's a lot more than just the bedroom. It's daily. It's that conversation you have. It's those things you do together. It's the the way one of you, you know, does something kind for the other one just because you like to see a smile on their face. 
Love is so much broader than just sex. But if you talk to an evangelical and you say something like, I'm gay, they immediately are thinking about you banging another person of the same sex. And they think it's gross and they get weird and they, they just, it, it turns into a something that it's not. And that is sickening because it tells me a lot about how they view their own relationships, that they see other people as people to be used, people to just satisfy certain urges, that they don't recognize the fullness of what a relationship is, which is all parts, including, of course, sex, but so much, so much more. Now, when I've gotten into a few, I don't know if debate's the right word, discussions, online with some of these people, I can go toe-to-toe with them when it comes to Scripture. I can go toe-to-toe with the best of them. In fact, it, it's it's something I'm pretty skilled at, and that's where I have to check myself and see if the recovering evangelical, the recovering fundamentalist in me is starting to repeat those old patterns and those old behaviors just with a different view on where I stand in the debate because it's hard. It's hard when I see people using scripture in a way that I think is wrong to not want to correct them. So I've been working on kindly talking about how, and you can go to my Twitter feed and you can see varying levels of me being successful at this, but Trying to find ways to one recognize that things can be viewed by more by, by different people who honestly are sincere in their beliefs in different ways, and so they may see it this way, and I see it that way. And what I've invited a couple of people to do is just recognize that recognize we can both be very serious about what we are reading or believing and. One or both of us may be right or wrong, and that's okay. Now, for the fundamentalists, that's not, because what they say is, no, there's only one way. There's the right way. And I even was discussing with one person, they said, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. And I said, well, then why are there 45,000 Christian denominations, all of who they think they're right? How they all get to different viewpoints. And then I walked through several scriptures pointing out how in some places in the Bible it says Jesus is the way to heaven, but in other places it says everyone's going to get there. Very clearly says that. Very clearly supports the concept of of universal reconciliation, that all people are going to go to heaven. And by the way, it's weird making these arguments sometimes because I'm not even sure I believe it myself. I know that these are a set of books written by people that were inspired in some way to share their personal experience with God. And they're trying to understand them just like I am, just like you are as a listener. And, um, but I wanted them to just understand that it's not the Bible said it, it's clear. There's a lot of things they think that are in the Bible that aren't. I had a person argue with me the other night that my definition of love was wrong. And I was quoting Jesus that person had not read their Bible because they were arguing with Jesus's definition of love. It was pretty weird. Anyway, so yeah, the church is broken. I believe that. 
And I believe those of us who've chosen to leave it to itself need to find a way to really leave. You know, when I left, when I quit attending church, there wasn't a lot of pomp and circumstances about it. I didn't make a big deal. I just stopped going, which I, that's how I prefer that people should do things. You know, sometimes when people leave Facebook pages or or whatever, they make big announcements, and I don't think that was necessary. But I often talk to people who've been divorced as well as I have been, and I see them continuing to fight with their ex. And I think to myself, isn't one of the benefits of divorce that you aren't trapped in that relationship anymore? You don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to win. And so maybe those that are of us that are on the outside need to recognize that. We've been rescued. We're no longer in that abusive relationship. I mean, we're not going to fix the church. I guarantee you, I am not going to fix the church. This podcast is not going to fix the church. These people that are dispersed out in the wilderness lands that follow after the teachings that Jesus lived by are not going to fix the church. Maybe we just need to let it go. Stand with those that are hurt. Seek to comfort those that need it. Love everyone. Call out abuse. Rescue people from the abuser. Focus on how we can be the peacemakers. But let's face it. We're not going to fix the church. We probably should stop trying. They don't want our help anyway. Those are my thoughts, my observations. Thank you for listening. Well, that's another episode of Observations from Life. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out my website at www.obsfromlife.com. You can find information on past episodes, people who have appeared on the podcast, as well as a merch store. Until next time, this is Scott. Thank you so much for listening.